Podcastle episode 141 for January 25th, 2011. The Bear in the Cable Knit Sweater by Robert T. Jashonik. Rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is The Bear in the Cable Knit Sweater by Robert T. Jashonik. Robert is an award-winning writer whose fiction, essays, articles, comic books, and podcasts have been published around the world. His young adult urban fantasy novel, My Favorite Band Does Not Exist, is due in 2011 from Clarion Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. A collection of his fantasy and science fiction stories, Mad Scientist Meets Cannibal, was released in 2008 by PS Publishing in England. You can find out more at his website, www.robertjashanik.com. Today's story features bears in tutus, and given that they appear in paragraph two, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to tell you that. So naturally, for today's intro, I thought I'd cook up a little something about bears in tutus and call it a day. Now, my internet research for these intros often leads me down some strange rabbit holes, but none stranger than the one I encountered this week. The alternate reality I discovered was almost as strange as the one you'll find in this story. It all starts with Yakov Smirnov. You remember Yakov Smirnov, right? He was that comedian who was so popular in the 1980s with his jokes about Soviet Russia. He's the guy who originated the classic Russian reversal joke. For example, in America, you watch television. In Russia, television watches you. Anyway, as it turns out, Smirnov is alive and well and living in Branson, Missouri, which is like Las Vegas for old white people who are still nostalgic for the champagne stylings of Lawrence Welk. Which is not to diss Lawrence Welk at all, as I too am an old white person, and I too have a soft spot in my heart for Myron Florin, the accordion virtuoso otherwise known as the Happy Norwegian, but I digress. Back to our boy Yakov, who I only bring up for two reasons. One, I'm just really impressed that he still has a career, because he always kind of struck me as a one-hit wonder, and two, because he has, are you ready for this, a circus. Or at least he had a circus. I'm not quite sure what happened to it. Up until July of 2010, his show in Branson was called Yakov's Moscow Circus, and it featured Olga the Fire Spinner, the Russian Cossack dance troupe, a master unicyclist, Valentina Atanasova, the human slinky, Jana Alfarova and her incredibly intelligent dogs, Suzanne Wonderly as the living Statue of Liberty, and the world-famous Siberian Dancing Bears, one or all of which were named Mishka. My sources were kind of fuzzy on that. And they were also fuzzy on what actually became of Yakov's Moscow Circus. I mean, I don't know what happened. Probably something incredibly grim and brutal. But now, if you go to the website, the whole shooting match has been rebranded as Yakov's Dinner Adventure. All of the circus acts are still there, but suddenly it's no longer called a circus. And the bears are gone. Sure, maybe they just went back to Siberia. Or maybe in Branson you don't watch the bears. Maybe in Branson the bears watch you. Today's story is read by Cheyenne Wright, who, by the way, I had the pleasure of meeting at SteamCon 2 back in November. A truly lovely gentleman, he has won two Hugo Awards for his color work on Girl Genius, which can be read online for free at girlgenius.net. Recently, he has begun to design his own line of badges for law enforcement agencies that never existed, 
like the Tesla Rangers or the brand new Adventure Society membership badges for all you Gilded Age superheroes, available via airshipstore.com. Enjoy the story. The Bear in the Cable Knit Sweater by Robert T. Jashonik I stand in the center of the Colosseum, the pink sun blazing on my flesh, and I raise the fairies I clutch in both fists. Their tiny bodies squirm beneath my fat fingers as they struggle to break free, but they are not going anywhere. I turn in a circle with the fairies held overhead, and the army of bears that surround me on the dirt floor of the Colosseum stop snarling. They stand on hind legs with red or pink tutus fluttering in the breeze, some balancing on beach balls, some perched on unicycles. They stare with wide eyes, claws twitching in the fairy world heat. And I wait for their answer to my question. Who deserves the crush? My throat hurts as I howl at it at the top of my lungs. Me or them? Me or them? I feel the bear's eyes upon me, bulging with wonder and hunger and fear. The moment is upon them, a moment they never imagined. This is for you, Stan, I think. And then I roar, demanding their answer. I was roaring last night, too, in a very different place. My favorite bar in downtown Pittsburgh, called Boilermakers. I was surrounded by bears then, too, of the human variety. My people. My family. Not by blood but by love. The only family who'd ever truly cared about me. I let loose with a roar in the mists of them right after I blew out the candles of my birthday nachos. They cheered me with roars of their own, all of them strapping as lumberjacks, ten big boyfriends clapping and kissing and throwing back beers and whiskey shots with bold abandon. Saluting our flag with the bear's paw in the top left corner and the stripes of brown, tan, white, gray, and black. All of us card-carrying members of the local chapter, the International Bear Brotherhood. My people. Welcome to your thirties, Angus! My partner Stan slung an arm around my shoulders and shook me hard. How's it feel to be over the hill? I punched him in the stomach. You tell me, sluggo. That was my nickname for Stan. A real term of endearment for the man I loved and still love more than anyone or anything in any world. Stan looked like Ernest Hemingway with his bushy gray hair and beard, his barrel chest. Screw you, Angus! Laughing, he scrubbed the thick brown hair on my head in a brutal noogie. You wish, said one of the guys, Horst or Louis or Al and... Everyone cracked up. Another round, said Stan. For Angus's birthday. Last man standing gets to kick his ass. Big-bellied horse shook his half-empty beer mug at me. Jet black mutton chops, sideburns curling away from his ice cream grin. 
Stan cracked his shot glass down on the table and stomped in front of Horace with shoulders squared under his red flannel shirt. You'll have to go through me first. Suddenly, a crash like a thunderclap exploded in the room. We all looked toward it, though we already knew the source. And sure enough, Pete, the bartender slash owner, had brought the old baseball bat down on the bar again. No fighting, jagoffs! Who could blame him? Last time the bears had gone ballistic in there, Pete had ended up with a shattered front window. Not that we didn't love Pete, or Boilermakers. Not that we didn't pay to fix that busted window. It's just that that's the way we were. Rough and tumble. Loud and proud. A real band of brothers. With benefits. Pushing past Stan and Horst, I did what I used to do best. Deflect with humor. Who you calling jagoffs, pal? Rolling up the sleeves of my heavy white sweater, I charged the bar, smacking my hands down hard on either side of the baseball bat, glaring up at Pete. Way up at Pete, from my four-foot-five-inch height. Take it back, Pete. Don't make me climb up there. Pete's eyes twinkled with mirth. He shook his head and looked away. Somebody get me a stepladder, I said, and everyone laughed. Crisis averted. The guys chanted, next round, next round, and Pete stomped off to fill glasses. Left me staring at myself in the mirror behind the bar. What a hairy SOB. I might have been the shortest of the local Bear Brotherhood, but I was by far the hairiest. Shaggy brown fur covered my head and my whole face except my eyes, lips, the tip of my nose. More of the same covered almost every inch under my clothes. Even covered my hands except for my fingertips. How would you like to go through life looking like a werewolf? Right down to the hair on your palms. All thanks to the miracle of hypertrichosis, the disease that blasts hair growth into perpetual overdrive. Welcome to my world. Imagine the constant ridicule and abuse I put up with from day one. Imagine being abandoned by my parents at age three, and then juggled like a hot potato from one foster family to the next. Always the freak. Always the outcast. Always the dog-faced boy. Growing up to scrape by as a home-based telemarketer. Hardly ever leaving my apartment, and then, only with everything under wraps, always just hanging on to life and sanity by the skin of my teeth. Imagine living like that, and maybe you'll get it. Maybe you'll understand just how happy I was with Stan and the bears, and why it hurt so unbelievably bad when I lost them, why that birthday party turned out to be my last happy night on Earth. Pete had just brought out the next round when he showed up. Yuri. The bears and I were grabbing our mugs, and the front door flew open and slammed into the wall. Yuri blew in like a gale or a mad dog, demanding immediate attention, without saying a word. He must have been seven foot six, or seven, at least three hundred pounds. A wild Hawaiian shirt was draped over his massive gut, bursting with flowers in pink and gold. Yuri's face was broad and ruddy, and moist as a side of beef. 
his blazing red hair frizzed out in all directions like flames, like his head was on fire. My mouth fell open as I gaped at him. I felt Stan make a sudden movement beside me. Magnifico! When Yuri spoke, his voice boomed like a backfiring car with a Russian accent. You knew I was coming, didn't you? Spiba for the party, you big lug! Just as I wondered who he was talking to, one of us spoke up. My breath caught in my throat in surprise. It was Stan. Party's not for you, Yuri. Yuri waggled his eyebrows, which were as thick as squirrels. Stush! What's the matter? No kiss for your old lady. Yuri puckered his liver-slab lips, pooching them out from under the giant walrus mustache he wore like a fox stole across his face. What do you want, Yuri? Stan's voice was cold. His hand clamped around my shoulder and tightened. Yuri's brows and walrus stash jumped high as his face lit up with an alligator smile. So, this is your new girl. Lurching forward, Yuri reached out with one sausage-link finger and tickled my chin. Why, he's just a little cub. Suddenly, Stan lunged at Yuri, hooking his wrist and yanking his hand away from my chin. Get out of here, Yuri, now. Horst, Al, and the others closed ranks around us, glowering. Yuri went on talking, never breaking eye contact with me. Daddy bear stush go bye-bye, little cubby. Then he slid his gaze from me to Stan. Unless, of course, he cares to send this cubby in his place. Never. Stan ground the word between his clenched teeth. Get out. Man said leave, gasshole. This time it was Pete, the bartender, doing the talking. He pushed between Louie and Horst, and with a ball bat in hand, looked stone cold deadly. Yuri raised his squirrely brows and took one last look into my eyes. Sweet dreams, little cubby. He sang the words with a sickening false sweetness. Uncle Yuri loves you. Reaching into the breast pocket of his wild shirt, he tugged out a bright red business card and held it toward me. Stan snatched the card away and shoved him back. Yuri stumbled one step before catching himself. Then, laughing, he swung around and stormed out, nearly knocking over Horst and Pete on his way past. Later that night, I lay in Stan's arms and gazed at his face in the moonlight streaming through our bedroom window. He just kept staring at the ceiling, lost in thought. So, who was Yuri? I said. An old boyfriend? Stan sighed. And don't worry about it. But what did he mean? I said. Where did he want you to go? Forget about him, said Stan. He's just a big mouth looking to cause trouble. What did he mean when he said you could send me in your place? Stan grunted and let go of me. He rolled over and got out of bed. I... Don't want to talk about it, okay? Just go to sleep. I sat up and listened as he started down the hall. Where are you going, Sluggo? I called after him. I left something in the truck, said Stan. 
I'll be right back. That was the last time I heard his voice in this world. Lying back, I listened as he put on his shoes and went downstairs and out the front door. I waited a little while for him to come back, and then I fell asleep. When I woke in the morning, he was still gone, but his pickup was still parked in the street in front of our townhouse. I was worried right away. It wasn't like Stan to disappear without warning. Where could he even go without the pickup? I started making phone calls. There was no answer at Boilermakers at that hour, of course. Horst had no idea where he was, and neither did any of the other bears who answered their phones. It was a Saturday, but I tried Stan's workplace anyway. He worked for a company that installed conveyor equipment in factories, and sometimes they did weekend installs, but not this weekend. So I got in the pickup, cherry red, extended cab, extended everything, and drove around town. I drove everywhere I thought Stan might be, and looked hard, and asked questions. But Stan was nowhere. Just gone. So now I knew, without a doubt, something had happened to him. Sitting in the pickup in the hardware store parking lot, I leaned my furry forehead against the steering wheel and closed my eyes. I thought about the first time we'd met, which had been at Boilermakers. I'd seen a story online about the bears, and known instantly they were for me. Boilermakers had been mentioned in the story as a bear meeting place, so I'd gone one Friday, still under wraps, of course, still covered head to toe in ball cap, trench coat, and gloves. Stan had come right up and shaken my hand. He slapped me on the back, called me Buddy, and bought me a beer. I'd fallen in love with him right then and there. We kissed for the first time two weeks later in the cab of that very pickup. And now he was gone. Opening my eyes, I looked down, and I spotted something red on the floor, tucked under the edge of the mat. Leaning down, I snagged it, instantly realizing what it was. Yuri's red business card. The one Stan had snatched from Yuri's fingers. I drove to the address printed in gold letters in the satin-finished card. The address led to a building on the edge of the Strip District, a deserted storefront far from the Strip's thriving markets and restaurants. The windows were waxed, so I couldn't see inside. The front door was closed, but unlocked. Heart pounding, I let myself in. Sweat ran down my sides and back as I entered the darkened place and looked around. I was totally unprepared, running on panic and adrenaline, not thinking very far ahead. Though I don't think anything could have prepared me for what was waiting inside that dump. The place smelled like mold and fry grease. The front room was empty except for a single folding card table, but I guess this had once been a restaurant. I almost called Stan's name, but then I thought better of it. Walking as softly as I could, I sneaked towards the swinging door at the back of the room. I could see a dim light glowing underneath it. Cracking the door, I peeked inside the back room and a chill shot up my spine. I couldn't believe what I was seeing didn't even know what the hell it was, exactly. Some kind of swirling disc hung in mid-air in the middle of the room. Glowing with pink light, streamers of mist spun around a central core, crackling with tendrils of energy. Everything smelled like salt water and ozone. Gazing into the disc, I felt a little 
dizzy. It was like hovering above a cyclone, a hurricane, staring down into its whirling, lightning-filled cone. I cracked the door wider for a better look, took half a step into the back room, still saw no one inside. And then, suddenly, huge hands grabbed a hold of me from behind and lifted me off my feet. Someone swung me back and up, and I saw that sight of beef face grinning back at me. Yuri. Looking for your daddy bear, yes? Yuri waggled his squirrely eyebrows and hooted. Won't he be surprised? Put me down. I struggled in Yuri's grip, but it was like iron. I couldn't break free. Let go of me! Your daddy bear has gone home, little cubby, said Yuri. But I will gladly take you to him. The next thing I knew, Yuri was walking straight for the swirling disc, the vortex in the middle of the room holding me out in front of him like a baby. Here we go, said Yuri as he carried me closer to the vortex. Hold on to your breakfast. And then he pitched me inside and I went spinning like a leaf in a water spout. I landed face down in the dirt with the wind knocked out of me head still spinning for long moments after the physical spinning had stopped. When I finally looked up, I saw a dozen pairs of eyes gazing down at me. I was surrounded. And each pair of eyes came with a fur-covered snout. And face. And body. Because all around me were bears. The animal kind. Not the human kind, from Boilermakers. These were big-toothed, Sharp-clawed bears, standing in a circle, on hind legs. And every one of them was wearing a pink or red tutu. Slowly, I got up on my hands and knees. Had I ended up in some kind of bizarre circus? Then, suddenly, a cloud of tiny, flying creatures descended upon us. A swarm of winged people, male and female, each no bigger than five inches tall, every one of them lashing out with showers of sparks that sent the bears backing away, swatting with black padded paws at their snouts. Fairies? Where the hell was I? Pushing myself up on my knees, I watched the swarm of fairies in action, spraying sparks from their hands in all directions. I was just about to thank them for driving off the bears when they all spun and converged on me. Like a swarm of bees, they stung me senseless, sending me reeling back down to the dirt. My body snapped and twitched with each new barrage, writhing under the whirling cloud of tiny attackers. And then, all of a sudden, they lifted away and dispersed, leaving me to gaze up at the huge pink sun blazing away directly overhead. Where am I? I said it softly to myself, not expecting a reply. But I got an answer anyway. The roar of thousands of people all around me. Thousands of people with blue and green skin, pointed ears, eyes like glowing gemstones. Thousands of people crowding to the stands of a vast coliseum that looked like it had been built out of glittering flint and cotton candy. Yuri's voice boomed over the noise of the crowd. Welcome, lords and ladies, to the main event of this splendid tournament. 
Getting up out of the dirt, I saw I was standing at a dead center of the Coliseum field. The bears were still keeping their distance, but they were circling me on all fours, head bobbing. Ridiculous in their tutus, yet as dangerous as any bear in any forest back home. I bring you a contest to thrill your blood, said Yuri. A human cub will face a true bear. An escapee now return to the fold for the ultimate death duel. The crowd roared louder than ever, agitating the bears around me. I turned in a circle, fearing they were ready to attack. Witness now, said Yuri. The Battle of Cub versus Bear. Just then, a huge cloud of tiny fairies burst from a gate along the wall around the field. They surged towards me and stopped suddenly just twenty yards away, and then they parted, revealing a gray-furred bear. Barrel-chested, broad-shouldered, he stood before me, staring. Raising his paws, he roared, but I stood my ground. Because there was something familiar about him. Something in his eyes. Stan? Could it be? Is that you? The gray-furred bear roared again and nodded his head. Somehow, this was Stan. An escapee of some kind from this place. Turned human on Earth. Now reverted to a bear. And now what? We were expected to fight one another? Let the killing begin, said Yuri. And the crowd went wild. Stan backed away, but the other bears moved in and pushed him back. There were dozens of them now, loping along on foot or balanced on beach balls or unicycles. More were filing out of the gates all the time, driven onward by swirling clouds of fairies. Stan! I moved toward him, though he tried to wave me away. I don't care what you are, or were, or, or weren't. I love you, and I always will. Stan roared back at me louder than ever, and I knew he agreed. But the other bears were on a different wavelength. They started to close in around us, pressing in on all sides, cutting off all escape. One must kill the other, said Yuri. Blood will spill on the sands of fairy. Taking a deep breath, I ran to Stan and threw myself into his arms, pressed my furry cheek against the warm gray fur on his chest. The crowd unleashed a deafening round of catcalls. The other bears moved closer, roaring with ferocious intent. If one of you will not kill the other, said Yuri, we will end the impasse ourselves. Suddenly, the other bears lurched and rolled and pedaled towards us. Stan and I stood back to back and met their charge with steely gaze, ready to die together. I love you, Stan. A polar bear and a black bear lumbered toward me, both licking their chops. We'll survive this and, and go home together. Just then, I heard a sound like hoofbeats on the ground behind me, and Stan was gone. Whirling, I saw a grizzly tear his head off with a single swipe of his paw. No! Through my tears, I saw the other bears move in to finish off Stan. 
I felt my legs begin to give way under me, and then I saw another cloud of fairies boiling toward me, a thousand tiny wings flashing in the pink light like the wings of locusts on the move. Sorrow turned to rage in my heart, and my thoughts suddenly crystallized. Squaring my shoulders, I waited for the cloud to descend, waited to do what some bear should have done long ago. As soon as the cloud engulfed me, I snapped my arms out to either side and grabbed at the fluttering creatures, caught one in either hand and held them tight. I used them to shoo the rest of the buzzing horde away, and then I turned to the other bears with hands held high. Realizing even as I did this that I should have done this or something like it long ago, decades ago, that this is what being a bear was all about, harnessing fear. Now I stand in the center of the Colosseum, the pink sun blazing on my flesh, and I raise the fairies I clutch in both fists. Their tiny bodies squirm beneath my fat fingers as they struggle to break free, but they're not going anywhere. I turn in a circle with the fairies held overhead and the army of bears that surround me on the dirt floor of the Colosseum. They stop snarling. They stand on hind legs with red and pink tutus fluttering in the breeze, some balancing on beach balls, some perched on unicycles. They stare with wide eyes over muzzles rimmed with black or brown or white fur, claws twitching in the fairy world heat. And I wait for their answer to my question. Who deserves to die? My throat hurts as I howl it at the top of my lungs. Me! Or them! Me! Or them! I feel the bear's eyes upon me, bulging with wonder and hunger and fear. The moment is upon them, a moment they never imagined. This is for you, Stan, I think. And then I roar, demanding their answer. And all of the bears roar back at me at once. Voices join in a fierce explosion like the launch of a rocket or the start of a war. Claws thrashing at the sky with unmistakable defiance. My brothers. I hear the answering roars from beyond the Colosseum. From the bears beyond those walls. Across this world, I imagine all of them rising up at once. All the rejected, despised, and enslaved. All the ones who've had the power within them all along. Lacking only the will to apply it. And I know that this is where I truly belong. What my life has led up to. What I was meant to accomplish. The bears turn their backs on me and gallop towards the stands. The crowd screams and stampedes for the exit. Down in the dirt, I roar my lungs out, tears streaming down my face, and then I squeeze both fists as tight as they will go. And welcome back. 
We've seen a few gladiator-type stories in the Podcastle Slush before, kind of Spartacus or gladiator retreads with a bit of magic thrown in, but I'm pretty sure this is the first story that made me wonder what Russell Crowe would look like in a tutu on a balancing ball, and also made me kind of hungry for birthday nachos. Damn, gotta wait another eight months for that one. Anyway, feedback this week is for Sam Schreiber's Corinthians, read by Tatiana Gomberg. The story of a woman's estranged relationship with her boyfriend, God. Unsurprisingly, reaction to this one was a bit mixed. Some people thought it was hilarious, other people didn't like it at all, and one person fast-forwarded through it, but, for some reason, felt like he missed out on the story. Anyway, it generated all kinds of discussion, from what's blasphemous, which, wow, some people thought it was definitely blasphemous, and at least one fundamentalist found it terribly amusing to discussions on why authors use second-person POV, to debates on creativity and whether God's a pro or an amateur. LaShawn said, Oh, how I love this story. I have a brother-in-law who's in seminary who I know will love this story. My dean of theological studies father-in-law will love this story. My mother will not. It has so much seminary humor it makes my head spin. I remember reading in college books that stress putting emphasis on having a relationship with God over dating relationships. There was just one problem. There wasn't any physical side of God to speak of. There were no arms to wrap around you. No coming home to him with a cup of hot cocoa and a peck on the cheek. I really wanted the physical part of a relationship, you know? We do. M. Brennan had some issues with it, though, and said, Had it been the protagonist's decision to break up, as somebody else in the thread suggested, and God trying to get her back, that would have made me more interested, but as it stood, this felt like a completely ordinary relationship story, and not at all my cup of tea. Reynestro said, The message I took away from this story was simple and made a lot of sense to me. God loves you, but he's not in love with you. Thanks very much for those comments, everyone. We do love reading them. Please head over to forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought of this week's story. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. All our money goes to paying our authors and covering our costs, which do not include gladiatorial circuses, I might add. We really do appreciate your donations. Thanks. That's all for this week. Podcastle is made up of dastardly associate editor Ann Leckie, eccentric sound producer Peter Wood, badass co-host M.K. Hobson, and your scruffy and glamorous co-editors Anna Schwand and myself. You can guess at your own peril which is which. Anyway, from all of us at Podcastle, thanks so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next time when An Owomoyela downloads some abandonware for your enjoyment. Until then, all we want to know is Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? And we'll see you next week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartists.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us.